0: This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends.
1: And here's your host, Roshan Senanayake. What's up, listeners? Welcome to season four of Inspiring Design with Roshan Senanayake. This is where the best of the best brands, experts, change makers, and thought leaders come together to share their valuable insights, experience, and knowledge, all centered around the growth sector in advanced manufacturing within Industry 4.0, encompassing various industries, technologies, skills, knowledge, trends as well as stakeholders all the while linking it back into education within schools and universities. I'm here with Govinda Pandey, a very special, very smart and analytical man himself. He is the CEO of Rockfield, co-founder of Lixier and adjunct professor at James Cook University his leadership and innovation approach has resulted in rockfield and elixir pioneering the adoption of modern sensor technologies to accelerate the world's transition to safe and intelligent infrastructure govinder's network extends globally through his training and business collaborations in japan china north america europe and south asia as an industry thought leader govinder developed and delivers his talks at seminars conferences both nationally as well as internationally as a guest speaker on a number of different types of platforms he also sits on multiple advisory boards in engineering and academic sectors he is a passionate advocate about applying the digital skin to infrastructure assets to improve public safety and sustainability of our built environment he's one of the considerable amount of times mentoring business leaders, schools, and university students to inspire the future generations of leaders. He's the perfect man for the job. So let's get straight into it. Govinda, welcome to Inspiring Design. Thank you. Can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself? What's your story?
0: Look, uh, I was born and bred in Nepal. Uh, and um, when I was um, 18 years old after my um, uh, high school I went to India to do my engineering civil engineering that that was and I returned back and after that uh, I went to Thailand to do my masters uh, and uh, and then I got an offer to do a PhD in Japan so I spent uh, five and a half years in Japan doing PhD and postdoc and And then um, I had to get to an academic position and uh, and I applied Uh, at JCU uh, for a lecturer position and um, I got an offer so then uh, that brought me to to Townsville.
1: Mm. Wow, so like you've actually had the opportunity to work in many different countries and most importantly educate yourself in many different countries. Do you think that has had an impact on how you work today? Absolutely. Uh,
0: it is more around sort of that that broader uh, worldview, mm. uh, and uh, and around sort of cult- cultural awareness and and all that that really helped yeah. uh, shape my my thinking and the way I behave, act, and and perform as a as a leader.
1: Awesome. And so, what happened after you come to Townsville and um, worked in JCU? How did you get into the industry and to do what you're doing now?
0: Look, uh, I uh, did that uh, lecture gig for for a couple of years, mm. and uh, and I quickly realised that um, I was sort of uh, more interested in hands-on engineering work. Yeah, and also like in, in academia, there's a lot of focus on getting competitive research grant and all that. Sort of more around the discovery area. Yeah, and uh, and the success success rate of, of, of that is very very low. And I uh, mm. spent a lot of time uh, putting a grant together, application yeah. together, and uh, and then. Uh, and then, like, just to find out that it's it's too hard, uh, and again, uh, I was always fascinated by the um, the translational outcome of research and impact, uh, so that's why I decided to actually move on and, and get to the industry.
1: Yeah, awesome. And I believe you uh you fa- you were involved with the found- founding of Rockfield. Is that right? Or what's the story behind Rockfield?
0: So Rockfield uh, is. Um, uh like a entity spun out of uh james cook university that's Mm -hmm. why we're here in townsville um rockfield now we've got around 25 staff um we've got um offices around the country we still headquartered here in townsville Mm -hmm. um and got branch offices in melbourne uh uh, perth and developing one in in brisbane at the moment um uh, it was spun off uh 21 years ago i Mm -hmm. was not part of the founding team i joined uh 10 years ago Uh, but uh the way Rockfield was founded was that uh, you know back in late '90s, um, um, what, what we call digital twin these days, like you know finite element modeling mm-hmm. or computational mechanics uh, of uh, of structures was was quite new mm-hmm. uh, those, those techniques, and um, and our founding uh, director Jeff Lochran, so he was uh, trying to solve some very complicated uh, sugar industry problem because we've got a big sugar industry yep. here uh, up north, um, and uh, and he found that. Uh, a tool or a solution in uh, in Wells and in, in Swansea so mm. Rockville has got nothing to do with rock yeah um, rock Rockville, rock came from uh, uh, three founders of, um, of a software company in in um, Swansea yeah uh, Rosa Owen Cedric and Ken and they were working on a mathematical field problem so.
1: makes sense yeah awesome awesome and so I want to actually get into discussing exactly what is engineering look like now Especially in within advanced manufacturing and so on. But before we get to that um, I just want to understand what did your industry look like? Let's say, you know 20 30 50 years ago especially because from my own personal point of view coming from an architectural background where Supposedly we don't get along with engineers But um, my experience has been very different even from the first day on working in a firm was very different uh, engaging with engineers so I'm not sure where that myth came about, but so how did your industry actually look like in the past?
0: So mainly if you look at uh, like structural engineering industry, like, you know, just engineering is very, very, very biased. Yeah, Let's, let's just focus on structural engineering. If you look at you know fifty or hundred years ago, like uh, we had uh, you know very talented structural engineers, like you know, and everything used to be done like from from first principles, you know, hand mm. calculations, and all the drawings would be used to be done on board, you know, like all, all, prior all, to CAD, all, all, <laughs> prior to CAD, all all, all, all manually done. Yeah. Uh, and um, and look, we, we've got structures like you know Sydney Harbour Bridge, you know, like. Uh, yep. Are we designing and building similar sort of bridges now? Of course not. You know, know, apparently we can't afford (laughs) structures like that. But but those are the sort of things that, that inspired a lot of engineers, future engineers. So fast forward um, to today, um, like now we've got a lot of powerful tools. Mm. whether there's a you know computer aided design or, or even in you know you uh, know numerical design. and Got software to do do a lot of things. So in a you way know, we've we've advanced quite a lot, mm-hmm. particularly if you're looking at from the design side of things. Uh, but we've lost a lot of fundamental um, touch. Mm-hmm to to engineering uh, so we're not doing things from the first principles anymore so if if a software spits out something we sort of tend to believe we go with the, that we yeah. go with that so uh i've got a little bit of concern with that um so that is in the the, the engineering area but we're, mm-hmm. we're really advancing with with the technology and and um, uh, and bim um uh, building information modeling is it's it's a it's a thing that's going to going to disrupt yeah. Uh, the design and construction industry as well so what we call digital twin um, so uh, so it's, it's quite exciting times but when you look at um, the application of sensor technologies and IOT um, mm-hmm. sadly our industry is, uh, is a laggard so um, if you look at bridges uh, built in Roman times yeah uh, and if you compare with like automotive industry like you know the cars mm. you know, Few hundred years ago and, um, uh, and and cars now, so sort of cars can you know, self drive and, and everything. But if you look at our infrastructures, such as bridges, mm. uh, they were dumb back then <laughs> and they're dumb right yeah. now as well. And, yeah. and, and that is not good enough.
1: Yeah, so this is in that transitional point almost where whatever that looks like is happening now with these, aided by these different technologies. What do you think it'll look like in the future? Just speculation, you know?
0: Look, I think what, what we imagine structures to be uh, in the future, like just, just, just look at the, uh, uh, some, some of the disasters, the, the recent ones, even a couple, a couple of days ago, a bridge collapsed in, um, uh, in, uh, in Mexico City uh, yeah, right. and, uh, and killed, you know, tragically killed. 20 uh, odd people and 70 um, odd people got seriously injured wow. um, and we, we just don't know like, yeah. you know we, we are now living in such a dense built environment mm. at the moment and even even the building that we're in sort of in the, the roof above us mm-hmm. whether it's in, it's in a good state or not we just don't know we don't know yeah and uh and the only way that we have been managing the integrity of the the existing assets is by periodic visual inspections yeah and and a lot of things are hidden Uh, we can't see and um, so um, what we imagine uh, in the future is like you know all these assets, uh, physical infrastructure, the built environment would have a digital skin Mm -hmm. by that what we mean that you know using this uh, sensor technologies, big data uh, and the power of artificial intelligence uh with the with the overlay of that into our built environment then that enables the environment built environment to communicate with society you know if they're feeling hurt or they're in distress you know they to talk to us but not only that you know if with the with the digital skin it will also look around look at the environment. So, um so with the mm. with the adoption of technology you know we imagine that in the future like uh there will be a harmony between built and natural environments
1: yeah yeah i think that's amazing this is just i'm spinning with ideas in my head right now and i think it's it's one of those futuristic movie situation where for example if there's a flood or, or um fire if it can actually speak and sense with the existing environment the capabilities of that and what it could actually do Especially with being able to give early warnings and and saving lives, or even uh, avoiding a lot of damage, maybe risk mitigation techniques could actually be implemented. So this is this is awesome. This is I feel like future things, and I feel like eventually the building will launch itself off the ground and then fly away and replant it somewhere else. <laughs> but so how does how does this look like in terms of implementation? Obviously, engineers. Now this sounds very. Um, labor-intensive and you need a lot of uh, technical knowledge as well as um, technological understanding. What does that look like? What are the key skills that people are going to need in the next, well, now, in the next 5, 10, 20 years?
0: Look, uh, this is Picking up on your your, your comment just, just just a little while ago, like mm. we um, Rockfield, uh, we sort of work with uh, James Cook University, and we spun a new company off, uh, a tech company called uh, Lixia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lixia stands for Living Infrastructure by Informatics and Analytics. Love it. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, being engineers, so I can't help it. <laughs> so um, what uh, what we're doing there is like actually we. are designing um, uh, like IOT devices mm-hmm. uh, and um, and implementing that primarily to start with with the utility industries with with uh, with uh, utility poles if you yep. look at um, uh, you know like timber poles um, in, the, in the distribution energy distribution industry uh, if you look at the Queensland they've got 1.7 million poles mm-hmm and uh and and they are spread across 192,000 kilometer long network and uh-huh. and that is a 70 year old network and uh and the timber poles can rot and can be attacked by termites and and all that type of thing mm. and um uh, and physical invec- ins- inspection uh, every four years it's not it's not possible not not possible it's yep. not not enough to, to to properly manage them and and also that grid uh is designed uh primarily for a, for, a, for a directional flow of electricity. For example, mm-hmm. like you've got a, you've got a um, um, power generation somewhere and then you, you transmit power and then you distribute to the network, so that, that's the directional flow. Yeah. But now with um, with the solar power and renewable uh, generation, mm. so now everyone's got panels, solar panels mm. on their roofs yeah. and they're squirting power into the grid. And uh, and the grid is not designed for that bidirectional flow of electricity. So what that is doing is that is sort of uh, creating um, uh, you know you know spike of electricity into the into the grid. Um, so then the conductor wires can heat up and can sag more than what it was designed to wow. to yep. do. So Makes sense. so that's why it's becoming very very complicated. So so our mm. technology is actually to 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 utilize IoT artificial intelligence, image recognition, and big data mm-hmm. to help address that problem. Mm. But then, like, when we're doing that, and you want someone to connect that one to the disaster resilience mm. side of things. So imagine, like, all these poles around, whether it's street lights or utility poles, if they've got uh, an IoT device in there, mm-hmm. and if that can sort of measure the the water height above road in, yep. in, a, in a flood situation. Yeah and and with the with the data analytics and data visualization uh that information can be quite powerful for uh for disaster Mm. management team to see you know where the water is rising in in real time or near near real time and how to send messages to to people and and how to evacuate where to evacuate and all that you can you can do that sort of on on near real time basis which which you can't do it At the moment. And I
1: think I'm sensing this pattern across all of these different types of industries within advanced manufacturing is the consistent amount of real-time information communication and sharing of that. And I think the implications of that at this massive scale, that's where the biggest, I think, game changer is. And um, if the accuracy of these things are, from what I have understand, very, very different to the mapping techniques or data gathering that we used to do. <laughs> so yes. that that's amazing. That's yes. awesome.
0: So now sort of back to the skills mm. requirements. Yes. Um I, I think um, uh, you know, like uh with the universities we just got to revisit our um, um curriculum uh, a bit because um you know obviously you know the traditional engineering stream so they have sort of um mm. you know, you got only four years, you know, you've got only so much of time, you know, you've got to cram everything into that so that you give that birth to, to, to the students. Mm-hmm. But I think what we need to add is like uh, we just need to add those, you know, technological mm. sort of uh, subjects yep. into that as well. It doesn't need to be very deep like at least uh, we want our graduates to be equipped. So they're familiar with, with it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the possibilities of the technologies. Mm. Uh, so once they get to the workforce and when they start encountering issues and, and, and challenges, then not only they're looking at the traditional solutions, but mm. they will sort of, you know, explore yeah. um, opportunities with, uh, with modern technologies. And, and, and that is what we haven't done mm. uh, well over a long period of time, but, um, but you know, like uh, civic leaders and, and, uh, and um, you know, like uh, industry leaders will have to sort of work with universities to, to, to try and drive that, that change.
1: Do you think that things, for example, you mentioned uh, building information modeling before, um, I'm quite familiar with it because of the architectural industry, and however, though, one of the things with things like technologies like BIM is that the learning curve is very very long and sometimes it's you know upwards of 10 years just to be able to manage something of that sort so if that's the case with these types of elements coming into engineering which is already quite a knowledge intensive technical and very little room for error do you think the training needs to actually begin in a high school level rather than just in tertiary
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And we, we just got to start from primary school. Yeah. yeah I think that, <laughs> Love that, that's, it. That's that,
1: awesome, yeah. Yeah,
0: that, that's where we got to start. And um, and like, you know, I see a lot of uh, focus on STEM or STEAM or whatever you call it mm. in, in, the, in the school. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't resulted in the um, numbers, uh, enrollment numbers in the universities. Yep. So um, I sit on the JCU Advisory, Engineering Advisory Board as well, and mm-hmm. we sort of, you know, uh, discussed that one in length uh, in our in our previous meeting so i think what is lacking is uh is the um is the uh, industry like high-tech industry um so you know when we spend a lot of time with uh, with the primary school and the high school students and mm-hmm. you know, they're talking about you know robotics and and ai and and augmented reality and all the sorts of things mm. uh if they can't go to a workplace and see that technology in action yeah so then uh then they won't be able to connect correct with that and and, it, and it's very very hard to build that purpose and say like look you know this would happen in 10 years we're teaching you for 10 years that that's that's not there but but that's that's not the case like mm. you know there are companies uh there are pockets of things that's happening around uh and and if we can bring uh kids to the workplace mm. to see you know how that technology is is impacting lives
1: you know it's solving societal
0: problems yeah so more challenges. industry exposure yes. at a younger age is possible exactly 100 yeah.
1: percent now engineering compared to at a, at a queensland and australian scale we can look around and almost get a feel for where things are at but compared to the rest of the world and other countries where do we sit Um, in terms of these adoption of technologies and and the implementation of it?
0: Look, uh, you know, given that I've got exposure in both industry and academia, Mm -hmm. when I look at Australian universities, uh, you know, our universities are fantastic Mm -hmm. and and we've got some really bright academics, you know, young and and mature, (laughs) sort of working on some really fascinating areas and really pushing the boundaries. Mm Uh, but what is lacking here is that, um, that bridge mm-hmm. between industry and academia. And, yep. uh, and if you look at industry over here, we don't spend a lot of effort into R&D. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, we, we like to sort of get immediate outcomes and, uh, and you know, off-the-shelf products and all
1: that. So, quick fixes. Yeah, quick fixes.
0: <laughs> and when you look at academics, they're doing some, you know, some really um, mm. cutting-edge work. But, but the people in the industry, they sort of, you know, you know go to the websites and try and find off the shelf solution in Europe or North America and all that. So we, we just got to change that yeah. and, um, and, uh, and start bringing university and, and industries together and right. also along that journey. Uh, get schools and you know, vet sectors and, and everything involved so that, uh, that visibility is there and, and so that we can inspire our future generations.
1: I love that. that. I think that's very valuable advice for any listeners and we usually get most teachers listening to it from a school level. And think, what's your advice for them if they want to take on this type of things at a secondary education level? What's your advice for the teachers?
0: I think for the teachers, like you know, first um, you know, teachers got to get inspired. Mm-hmm. So um,
1: I and, like that you threw in the word
0: inspired. <laughs> yes. um, and um, and like you know, and teachers, and, and it's bit on us people from the industry as well. So we've just got to reach out to um, to high school and primary school teachers so that you know we can share with them you know what exactly are we doing at the minute. Yeah. Uh, using technology to, to impact lives and to, you know, change, you know, improve or solve societal problems and all that type of thing so mm. that, you know, they can then take it on to, uh, forward to the students mm. and and also the people in the industry uh, will have to have, you know, open days and things like that so that we bring yeah. students in and, uh, and uh, interact with them so that, uh, so that they can find the purpose in utilizing their...
1: It's almost like both sectors actually need to open their doors and reach out and shake the hand a little bit. And I feel like a lot of the uh, misalignments and the knowledge gaps and skills requirements can actually bridge over that. But um, one one of the main misconceptions that we get, especially with engineering, is the misunderstanding on how this actually classifies as a part of advanced manufacturing. A lot of people think it's a separate industry. It's part of AEC, the construction industry, not entirely in manufacturing as such. What's your opinion on it? On it, and how do you think it classifies under advanced manufacturing?
0: So that's a really good question. Um, so what's happening now is, um, is the, the problems or the challenges in the uh, you know construction or manufacturing or mining industry. Uh, you know, to, to solve them we need uh, bespoke solutions to, um, mm-hmm. uh, to, to to address those, those problems and, and a lot of that is uh, is to do with the the um, the um, IoT solutions and, and, and hardware and software and all that type of thing and, and you, got, you got to build that one somewhere you got to manufacture that one somewhere mm-hmm. so um, so that's what like with with our new spin-off Elixir, like we decided to uh, take on manufacturing ourselves mm-hmm. um, so we're sort of doing some tinkering and some you know prototyping at, at the moment mm-hmm. uh, but if uh, once we get a, a large order then we got to manufacture them, right? So and uh, and, and that is that is what we believe is the, the, the future of manufacturing. You know, obviously Australia as a nation, we won't be able to compete in, in you know mass manufacturing of you know you know commodity mm. products. You know, we just we just can't compete. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but with the high end, uh, bespoke, um, uh, you know, low volume, high value products. I think we are much better off uh, manufacturing things here using uh, Industry 4.0 uh, technologies. And uh,
1: if, if Germany can do that, why can't we? Absolutely, I think that's a brilliant question to prompt the minds of anyone involved in this sector. So how does this actually, um, what's, your, what's your advice? For, I think if we're stepping back now towards the actual students, if they're looking at engineering as one of their preferred career parts one of the questions that we always asked is it's a little bit transitional from the previous um, industry three requirements but what are the softwares that they need to learn
0: i think uh, you know like there would be discipline specific software and all that type of thing but but what i'm finding is that even engineering graduates with some form of programming skills mm-hmm. um particularly now you know we're sort of in the uh, you've got data, talk with data lakes and all that type of thing it's it's a we're in the big data world mm-hmm. at the moment so anyone with uh some sort of python or that type of you know sort of um you know data management or r or matlab and things like that yeah they will they will have that that edge
1: good good and how does the relevance of CAD, some sort of whatever this discipline-specific CAD information, their competency on that. How important is that place when they're looking to be in, uh, entering in, into an industry?
0: So that's quite important as well. So mm-hmm. so these days, like you know, um, you know, like uh, we we don't call uh, draftees or mm-hmm. drafts people, draftsmen, yep. draftsmen or draftswomen yep. these days. Uh, so <laughs> we we call them designers. Yes. So um so what like Now, and and, and some of the engineers do that as well, so Mm -hmm. um, so that's becoming like a a new um, profession, if you will. And, uh, and and these days, like you know, with um, with uh, Gen Z or you know, like millennials, and then they they they're sort of uh, they, they grew up with uh, with technologies, so, so everything's quite intuitive for them, mm. uh, and and they excel really well. Um, so just to give you an example, like you know, we've, uh, uh, we've got a um, technical college here called Tech NQ and mm-hmm. uh, and and we had a girl from from Tech NQ, She so was only year ten, and um, and she came in, and uh, did a a weeks worth of um work experience with us mm-hmm. uh and then she really enjoyed what she did. we we gave her a little little project and, and it was sort of like a 3d modeling mm-hmm. sort of work mm-hmm. and she did a fantastic job for a for a, for a year 10 you know yeah. yeah and then she came back again uh in year 11 and she did two weeks worth she got a taste of it exactly yes and then and then her um perspective around sort of uh, you know modeling and all that you know it was fascinating like mm. uh Probably her aptitude was uh, was around uh, you know like uh, university, you know undergraduate year three, three yeah, wow. aptitude, and, and and we got really fascinated, and now sort of we are onboarding
1: her Love it. As, as a trainee. There you go, it's a perfect mix and straight from high school. So how does that um, look when they are the digital natives and they're more familiar with the uptake of skills and when it comes to technologies and so on. But what about the thinking? What about the approach? I'm obviously a very big advocate of um, how design thinking fits into this, especially with integrating creativity into problem solving and not, being, not seeing failure as, a, as an end outcome. It's actually just a speed bump along the way and gives you better outcomes and so on. And the integration use of empathy and knowing how to utilize those things. What are your thoughts on how design thinking plays a role within engineering?
0: Look, that's a that's a really good question, and uh, and with the curriculum refresh mm. or curricular refresh, uh, I believe that that element has to be embedded into into our undergraduate um, uh, studies, mm-hmm. uh, because like as you said, like you know we, we we got we got to in in Australia we are very uh, risk averse, mm. uh, but but if we don't fail we, we, we won't learn, so, yeah. uh, but we got to we got to fail fast. Fell fast fail, uh, exactly, fail forward exactly exactly so um so yeah i, I believe that that's that's very important mm-hmm. and uh and there are a lot of um you know young entrepreneurs are coming out of the university that there's, there's, there's with the startup ideas and, and all that type of thing that, that that's something that we really want to promote mm-hmm. and not only entrepreneurs like we need entrepreneurs mm-hmm. with the, the, the organizations as well and the design thinking and you know empathy mapping and uh and uh, and you know customer-led, uh, you know, design and all that, that, that that's really important. And uh, and we just got to train our, our graduates uh, not only to be uh, critical thinkers, mm. but also creative thinkers. So I'm, I'm very strong on that. So uh, yep. we got to built in that, uh, that element of creativity uh, as, uh, as a key graduate
1: attribute. I think that's music to my ears because especially when it's an analytical Uh, industry like engineering, people naturally assume that creativity is not so much of a thing, you know, left brain, right brain, all of those things. We don't really need to worry about those kinds of elements. But this new new age industry for requirements, I'm very happy to hear from a professional such as yourself that those skills are actually very much embedded into the foundation. So last thing I usually ask from all my guests is what's your advice for students and graduates? especially if they're looking at this as their future career path in the next 5 10 20 years
0: look uh, i was um uh, i was sitting in one, one of the conferences and um i forgot the name but one of the um ai uh, experts mm-hmm. uh was the one of the keynote uh, speakers and um And she said you know like looked into our eyes and and most of the audiences were civil engineers Mm -hmm. and she looked into our eyes and said said, uh uh, 80 of your jobs is going to disappear in in next 10 years so (laughs) if, if you're just clicking your mice and doing a mundane yeah sort of stuff uh then then machine would be much better off mm-hmm. doing that, and um,
1: without the human error, and exactly ten thousand
0: times faster. <laughs> exactly, and then the the engineers will be doing like they'll be doing the final check and QA of that rather than sort of you know clicking your mice and sort of um, churning mm. things out. So those engineers and uh, and professional will, will excel. It's got the sort of things that we talked about. It's got you know creative mm. thinking and um, and uh, and and problem solving. Uh, and uh, and who, who who can sort of uh, you know work together with the with the customers um, with empathy and uh, and 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 find out solutions together with them so mm. will create solutions so those are the professional who mm. will excel yeah and um, and uh, and all the rest of it
1: I think um, machine bull will, will definitely take over at some some point. Combine the tech, um, the thinking, those human elements, the problem-solving, and combine it with the technology skills. You're in it. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much, Govinda. I've learned so much personally because this is an industry that's very closely related with architecture, so very personal to me as well. But gathered a lot of information. I'm sure the learners, uh, listeners, took a lot from this as well. But Lastly, if they want to learn more about uh, what you do, Lixia, Rockfield, or even engineering in general, how can they get in touch with you?
0: Uh, You can uh, look us up on the website or you can uh, get
1: connected with me on on LinkedIn. Perfect, guys. Well, there you go. Make sure you guys connect with Govinda and reach out to learn more about the engineering field in advanced manufacturing. But um, otherwise, I've had a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for today's episode. Now it's time to take action and build on the learnings to get inspired. First up, jump onto rishancenenayaka.com forward slash podcast and check out the show notes, links and other relevant learning materials from this amazing episode. Next, if you learned something new today, click that subscribe button and set yourself up to receive live notifications on future episodes, as well as more opportunities to learn from our amazing guests, brands, and speakers. Last but not least, it's time to have your say. Join the conversation and share your thoughts and feedback on today's episode with a review, all while joining many others with a five-star rating for Inspiring Design with Rashan Senanayake. Till next time.